Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. So today I have a special guest with me um, who is someone that uh, is a psychologist and a executive coach. Um, is a founding partner of a dynamic um, um, psychological consulting firm in New York City and has been doing uh, coaching and, and career advising for well over 15 years. And so I'm just proud to be able to uh, introduce to you Dr. Richard Orbe Austin. Rec- Welcome, Richard. Thank you so much, Dr. Perkins. I'm so excited to be here with you today. So, uh, Richard, I I mean, there are so many things that I could talk to you about. Um, I've read a number of your uh, articles, and um, I I hate to really kind of put you in just one category because (laughs) you're probably just like me. There's so many interests that you have. And I am I'm just excited to talk to you Uh, the 30 minutes I know will go really, really fast. So (laughs) I'm just going to jump right in. So, you know, you and and your wife have um, this firm and you've been doing work. And I saw uh, where you are also experts in imposter syndrome. And I've had a show on imposter syndrome. We've talked about it a little bit. So I am going to give you a chance to talk about that, too. Okay. Uh, but first, I would really love to hear a little bit about the work that you're doing, know that you're doing career and executive coaching, and uh, tell me a little bit about your practice, because as someone with a background in, in counseling psychology, I think it is, is that mm-hmm. correct? Yes. Um, that you're doing career coaching and executive coaching. So tell me a little bit about what you're doing now. I appreciate that opportunity. So the journey to get to where we are today really started about 15 years ago when my partner and I, Dr. Lisa Orbe Austin, started our psychotherapy practice. And we felt that we wanted to see as many different people with different backgrounds and and have an opportunity to really apply a cultural competence lens to therapy. And so we hung up our shingle and, and started seeing people But then an interesting thing happened, like we started in 2007, and as you know, 2008 happened and the global meltdown came. And career had always been one of my areas of interest. It was what I did my dissertation on. Uh, And so we decided we wanted to also expand into the career coaching space. And as chance would have it during that period of time, what we came to understand as people unfortunately lost their jobs due to the global meltdown, Career coaching seemed like a became a necessity, whereas therapy became a luxury. So mm-hmm. our practice initially shifted because now we had a, a variety of different clients come in and say, "I need support with either pivoting because I want to leave this industry where either I've been laid off or I think I may be laid off. Uh, I'm miserable. I want to start my own firm or my own you know business." So we really began to do work in all aspects of career coaching. So testing, really career change, career transitions. Uh, And over time, as we worked with different individuals and they made their way up the corporate ladder or the academic institution ladder, you know, this notion of executive coaching came into clearer focus for us. So how do we support people who, as they are in these leadership positions, if they're not getting 
any type of transitional support to take up this role? How do we make sure that one, they understand what the expectations are and how do we support them through the lens of executive coaching to understand how to be successful in that particular role? Yes, yes. Well, you, you mentioned a, a couple of things that struck me. One uh, is about career change and 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 that people need support around that. I I often have run across people who who also see counseling or career coaching or career advice as a luxury. And you, mm -hmm. And that it's not something that uh, people down in the, as they might put it, down in the, the career paths or down in the totem pole receive, that it's only executive. Because I think there's a, a, a misnomer about executive coaching, right? Yes, yes. That oh. people in, in, for, in a nutshell that are in a position to make decisions are people that generally need executive coaching because we're talking right. about executive function, not just right, right, right. Not just executive, right. Right. Uh, executive positioning, but executive. Mm -hmm. And and so um, no, that's that's great. And and also thinking about just transition uh, support that some of it is just around helping people make good decisions on a on an ongoing basis and so i've i've certainly seen that we have a number of programs at my university that focus mm. in on that and um in fact the the program the master's program that i direct uh we give our students a coach for a year while they're oh, in the program phenomenal. just that's because phenomenal. we understand how how important that is so great so you're you you're doing the coaching uh, what what I wanted to talk to you about one one of many things in this this time we have together is an article you wrote about toxic workplaces and um, and your your idea your thought about what it means to be in that role. I want us to focus a little bit on leaders in mm. workplaces. I, to my surprise. And, and certainly on LinkedIn and another other platforms, I've seen people who may not be CEOs, but they they may be middle level managers responsible for a group of people. And I see them come on and tell a story and they tell a story about how toxic the workplace was that they were. And it's happened more and more <laughs> lately. And I scratch my head because I go, but you're the leader. You're the <laughs> right. leader in the organization. So, right. I, I mean, I don't want to cast blame, but I I find myself wanting to say, what was your role? What was your role in it? And how did you become a victim of a space that you were responsible for? So I, I just love your take yeah. on it. Yeah. Oh my you're speaking my language here because <laughs> In essence, I did a poll one time on LinkedIn to ask that very question. Do you believe toxic bosses are made or are they born? And the vast majority of people said they are made, which indicates that it's a cultural reality, right? That something in the culture from the leadership creates and constructs and or tolerates the toxicity. Mm -hmm. And so when I hear you say, yeah, you know what? Everyone should be able to have access to coaching. 
I love that point because in essence, when we say executive coaching, I sometimes take into saying leadership coaching, right? Because everyone who has an opportunity to be a leader should get that level of coaching, not just the executives. Yes. And so to your point, when we talk about, well, who's responsible for creating the culture, it starts with the leadership, fair or unfair, right? Because I think sometimes we may feel like, well, it's everyone's responsibility. And sure, as more people come into the workforce, but the leaders set the tone as to what are the values? How are they lived out? How do you demonstrate the ways that this environment is safe for individuals and that it is not toxic? Yes. So that exactly, I think, would be the same way you're scratching your head. I scratch my head to say, well, you say it's toxic. It doesn't have to be that way. Yes. So yes. how do you as a leader make impact to shift it? Yes. Yes. And and another point that I I often deliberate on is around um, how can I put this? The the fact that you you have forces or or influences from the outside particularly now post covid there are there are new ways in which people see work and i'm sure that this mm -hmm. is that's coming up a lot for you sure um, especially and i'm in a leadership role but I, I i talk to people who are also in leadership roles that you really have to keep your ear to the ground around how people feel because after spending so much time in a workplace environment outside of a workplace environment and i'm talking about during covid that some some mindsets shifted mm -hmm. what it means to be together yes whether or not you truly need to be together i mean i read I read an article that uh, you know Google, as any good learning organization, said we're gonna. This is a a crisis that we're gonna take advantage of, and we're gonna study this. But they studied to answer the question about are people more productive when they are in their own spaces, meaning at home or otherwise, or are they more productive uh, in a work uh, work environment? And what essentially what I took away from it was they said, well. People are more or less productive, as productive as they were. What's missing is the creativity piece, mm. and which for an organization like Google is absolutely their, you know, their blood right, uh, right there. And, right. and so, but going back to my, my point though, is that this shift that has occurred, um, some people are now calling workplaces toxic that previously were just this is the way we do work this is these are the <laughs> expectations how are you dealing with that yeah, and and this is a great question because part of what i appreciate when the surgeon general came out with this report about toxic workplaces it identified some of the the aspects of what makes a workplace toxic yeah right? it's yeah. the disrespect of employees it's the neglect of diversity equity inclusion principles it's not being ethical so it's recognizing that these are some of the ways that a workplace becomes toxic or is toxic. And so it's new language also that we're using, right? Like this notion of toxicity, I think when you and I, like 20 years ago, yeah, yeah, would be sure. like, yeah, it's just tough. It's a tough workplace. It's tough. Like, it's just, right? Uh, 
but we want to pay attention to that because what we're saying and what we, we come to understand is that the employee, as you said, especially after the pandemic, has been able to really reprioritize or, or really look at what work means in the grand scheme of their lives yes. differently. Yes. And so there are certain things, and particularly younger generations, that they will not tolerate that we tolerate. That's right. That's right. right? Uh, and and we suffered because, of, you know, we suffered because of it, but that was the way it was done, yes. whether it was microaggressions, whether it was sexual harassment, whether it was what have you. Yes. So now it becomes, as you said, this fine line of, well, is it toxic to give you constructive criticism consistently if you're not doing your job well? Right. Right. <laughs> like that's that's not toxic. And I've heard these things, unfortunately, oh, sure. where someone will say. Well, my boss is treating me poorly and it's toxic because she gave me feedback on something I did wrong. And I'm like, no, that's not toxic. Let's be clear about that. That's not toxic. That's useful. Yeah. And so being able to, because this is how language gets misused. And then we start to feel like, okay, well, what does it even mean anymore? And then it loses its meaning. So yeah. I'm trying to hold on to what actually it means for a workplace to be toxic by going back to some of the surgeon generals definitions of it uh, rather than people throwing it around in any way, shape or form if they feel like they've had an experience that's uncomfortable to them, but it's part of work life. Right, right. Um, you know, I, I just want to quickly mention, you, you made me think of two things, but one about what you just said about feedback. And I just had a uh, client talk to me about feedback and after having been on the job for, I'm going to say about eight months, mm. uh, recognized that there was no real training. And, mm. and a lot of, I mean, in executive, well, I shouldn't say executive, but in leadership roles, a lot of time people, they, people hire you because of your past performance right. where you were. And they're saying, you should, given that, you should be able to jump in and figure this thing out. Right. Mm. And so I find myself having to tell people sometimes that, <laughs> but you were hired because of what you know how to do. They're not gonna, you're not going to get the training. And, and that's another thing where right. people, that's another thing that has shifted where, oh, I should have had training. So anyway, we so we had this conversation about it and the feedback was uh, after after eight months or so, the feedback was met expectations on everything. And then there was one thing that was, and it was about timeliness or something at right. work, but everything else was met expectations and nothing was, oh, one thing was exceeded expectations. Right. And I literally had to talk this person off the ledge about, <laughs> I don't know if this is the job for me because, and I'm like, after eight months and you, <laughs> didn't get any training you've been down and they said you met all of the expectations saying right. that you in the first few months you had a lot of absences mm -hmm. and that's is that accurate well yes but i was doing it but it was accurate you know so but the feedback what do you suggest it from a from a leader if there's someone is a leader and has given fair accurate mm -hmm assessment of someone's performance and they still have an issue with it like what you're saying this is not good for me it's stressing me out that you gave me this feedback what does a leader do with that 
Yeah, and and I would say before the actual formal feedback process, you you need to socialize your employees to actually receiving gotcha. feedback in general, mm-hmm. right? And so part of the challenge, oftentimes, and and I understand that in any kind of organization, there's a lot to be done. But if that person only gets feedback, say once a year, then no one ever tells them anything, even informally they don't really understand what it means. It, it's criticism to them. Uh, and then they, to them, they interpret it as, well, maybe I don't belong. So I always tell leaders, so, so when someone starts on the job, there's an orientation. There are all these different aspects that people talk about in terms of learning, you know, the, the different logins and the different kind of system. Talk to them about how you evaluate and how you provide feedback in this space and what it means that oftentimes people will say, oh, yeah, no one's ever getting an ex- exceed. No matter what you do, you're never getting an exceed expectations <laughs> after six months. Right. So met expectations means you're good to go. Right. Right. And so by socializing them over time so that by the time they get to that formal evaluation, hopefully they will be able to understand what it means. And it isn't received as a, a major blow to them. And they can recognize that it's something for them to take, to work on, to honor the strengths that they've demonstrated and to work on the areas for growth. Yeah, yeah. You know, one one thing that I personally have encountered is that there seems to be a disconnect that we have. And I've said this on previous shows about different uh, aspects of the work is that we went back to our expectations of mm. performance right mm-hmm. after COVID, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we said there are, there are things like mm-hmm. expected that you finish college in four years, expected right. to do this in this amount of time. And so we kept these same expectations also in the workplace. Um, whether it is evaluations, mm-hmm. but we said, and and even in some some sectors where the productivity is the key, where they said you have to turn out twenty thousand widgets at the end of the month. Right. We we still have to do that, <laughs> and and we also acknowledge at the same time that people should be given a little more grace to do this or do that and to and to uh, be able to, to leave early mm-hmm. and to do a lot of other things, which I'm all for. It's the disconnect that is happening that breeds feelings and exhaustion that make people say this is toxic. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling stressed. Mm-hmm. Out really acknowledging that you didn't change your expectations you changed your process right those have all been great because Mm -hmm. you've been considering people and their feelings and their life um work-life balance Mm -hmm. but what you didn't do was change the goalpost right (laughs) Right. so how does how does a leader deal with that yeah, and, and what's interesting to me, when the pandemic first came, it, a lot of requests came my way to talk about burnout, right? And how to help people deal with burnout. Yes. And initially, it was about, you know, this individual notion of burnout, like self-care, taking breaks, or what have you. 
But as it continued, I came to understand that, and I would always say it's both individual and organizational responsibility, but the frame now is, as you said, the organization's expectations need to change. The culture of burnout needs to change if you want people to be less burnt out, yeah. right? Because we keep saying this, people are exhausted, people are burnt out, but the solutions require the organization to radically change. Yes. And if you're a publicly traded company, you don't want to see any change that's going to impact your share price. Uh, even though in the long run, it may benefit you, right? Mm -hmm. That if you, because I've come to take this notion and this saying of, yes, people need to be able to, Lily's saying this all the time, people need to do more with less. Mm -hmm. And I've shifted it to say, no, people need to do less with less, right? <laughs> Meaning that they yeah. need to be able to do what their capacity enables them to do. So you can no longer say to them, oh yeah, we've laid off two of your colleagues. You're going to take up their projects too. We're not going to pay you anymore. We're not going to give a different deadline for it. We just expect you to be able to follow through. Yes, yes. And then you wonder why that person leaves or is burnt out, right? <laughs> So it's the it's the shifting of the mindset and how it may be counter to what a shareholder wants or what may be counter to what the senior team wants because they if they view the the employees as disposable or you know plug and play people, then it's not necessarily going to matter. From an intellectual perspective, they know they need to address it, but they can't really get themselves to and they're not incentivized to quite honestly to shift it to the extent. Right. to really help everyone in the ways they need to be helped. Right, right. And you, you just said something that really resonated with me and it, it, it's, it's similar to the advice I give is that don't do more or even the same with less, do less with less. And right. advice, I a lot of times in the language I try to give people to use is that you, it's not, insubordination to say that's not something that can be done you just have to demonstrate that in some cases that is just not possible you're asking me to do that you've you've cut the budget and and that's my approach most of the time i don't argue with people that say they want to cut budgets it's like i just want to make sure that you have you're clear about what the bottom line is on the other side is that there will be fewer of these or right. less of this and right. that's your choice if right. you will so i i'm not going to exaggerate it i'm, I'm just going to be realistic that that with too fewer people as you mentioned mm -hmm. um you just can't do the same amount of work um with too fewer and we and and if there was a good match between what our our human resources uh, were were scoped out to be so I I think that's a big that's a big one um, and people all along the organizational structure have to understand that and and so most of the people who listen uh, here are not thinking as much about the the big macro uh, system that right. is shareholders or what have you they're thinking about smaller usually families and communities right where they they have these products and so where if we don't have the same amount of time we don't have 
the same amount of resources, we can't produce the same thing. Right. And believe it or not, that those are the things that generally start to make people feel burned out is that they're trying to make the same accomplishments with less. That's right. And so now you have people who are screaming at the desks, right? right. That are that are frustrated. Um, you know, one one kind of last question I have for you is so so when you when as a leader, if if you start to feel that people are experiencing what they think to be toxic traits in an organization does a does a does a leader address it head on and say okay here's what i'm feeling you know, that people how how do you how do they go about the turnaround i mean obviously you i i think this is a good time when you said you need coaching uh, <laughs> right as well but right. but what's beyond that what is it that they 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 do to start the process of having people in the organization understand that that's not what you want. You're not trying to make it toxic as a leader. What do you do? Yeah, and I think this is the ultimately one of the most critical questions, right? And so to your point, as you said, if you're working in organizations like the listeners that you have, if they're in you know, different institutions, nonprofits, higher ed, it's not about share price, it may be about mission. Right. It may be about service. It may feel like if we do less with less then who doesn't benefit. Yes. Right. Like, who are we missing out, whether it's the students, whether it's, you know, community members. But part of what I talk about is no one should have to suffer, period. Mm -hmm. But you cannot self-sacrifice yourself at the end of the day because it's not going to be beneficial to you or to those that you serve. Right. And so this whole notion of put your mask on first when you're on yes. an airplane. And so to this question of, well, what should a leader do? Sometimes it's difficult as a leader to accept the fact that, as we talked about earlier, you have contributed to the development of a toxic culture and to hear that. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing that I say is really talk to people and listen, whether it's, you know, doing some surveys, whether it's doing some town hall, give people like small focus groups, whatever it may be, give your employees an opportunity to talk about some of the challenges in the workplace that may be contributing to the toxicity. Mm -hmm. But what tends to happen is that a leader will say, oh yeah, this place is toxic and it's no good. We need to change it. Mm -hmm. But they don't really talk about or get feedback from others and their experiences of it, one, and then two, how they're contributing to it, mm -hmm. even if it's not their intention. Yes. But if you're saying, I need to have you available 24 seven, oh, you're on vacation. No, that's not really acceptable. We need to meet this deadline for this funder or for, you know, whatever the student needs may be that contributes to some of it, yes. right? Because you're violating those boundaries. So it's a hard thing to, as a leader, reconcile the fact that you may be perceived in ways that you don't see yourself to be like if you feel like you're someone who's ethical and giving and caring to hear oh no you're actually being received in this way mm -hmm. and so this is where the coaching comes in mm -hmm. right this is where you want to be able to have the humility to say well maybe i don't see every aspect of of how i'm showing up 
And maybe I need to be able to recognize that and not feel like I'm being attacked, but to see it as an opportunity for growth and development for me and for my organization. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for that. Well, listen, I, I, this has been absolutely great. I told you the 30 minutes goes (laughs) way too fast. (laughs) I do want to ask you, tell, so um, I know you have some books out there. Mm-hmm. And so please, before we go, tell us about your books, um, sure. what what you hope to accomplish people who get these, because I'm sure um, that there are people who will want to know and how they may reach you. I know you have a newsletter, but mm-hmm. how they may reach you, handles, uh, TikTok addresses, anything yes. you have, okay. um, that would, would uh, connect people to you. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to, to plug the two books. So first book that my partner and I wrote uh, in 2020 was called Own Your Greatness, Overcome Imposter Syndrome, Beat Self-Doubt and Succeed in Life. And that is really focused on helping people to defeat imposter syndrome, which is this phenomenon in which you feel typically high achieving people feel like they're a fraud, that they got their success either through luck or through a relationship. And it prevents them from really honoring their greatness. And so we go through a step-by-step model of how people, through activities, how people can actually defeat imposter syndrome, because oftentimes people feel like, well, that's just how I am. Like, there's nothing I can do to change that. That is not true. We've done some master classes over time, and we found that time and again, people reduce their imposter syndrome scores by following the book by 30%. Uh, and so that, and we've seen great successes, people doubling their salaries, people being able to ask for a promotion, getting it, people starting their own businesses after many years of wanting to do that. Awesome. So that was the first book. The second book that was released in December is called Your Unstoppable Greatness, Break Free from Imposter Syndrome, Cultivate Agency, uh, and, and Achieve Your Ultimate Career Goals. Uh, and it's a follow-up in a way to the first book in that it really helps those who overcome imposter syndrome, but are still struggling with perfectionism, still struggling and working in toxic environments. And so um, the model we've constructed there is a three A's model. It's agency, assessment, and actualization, wherein individuals can really learn what their actual career dreams are, how to protect and pursue it, uh, how to assess toxic leaders or toxic environments, and then finally, how to create healthy environments, how to be a healthy leader, how to know what may be most useful for you in moving forward in your career. Mm-hmm. And so those two books, both, as I said, are workbooks that really detail through our models, how to get to that other side for your career satisfaction and success. Uh, and people can reach me through a variety of ways. So I'm very active on Instagram. So it's at Dr. Rich Orbe Austin. R-B-E-A-U-S-T-I-N. You can find me on LinkedIn, Richard Orbe Austin, as well as you talked about on LinkedIn, I have a newsletter called Joy and Justice, where I talk about different issues related to leadership uh, and creating healthier work environments. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thank you so much. Well, I know you are um, located in the greater New York City uh, area, and um, my main office is there. Um, I, I thank you so much for this conversation. I'm, you've definitely added to me a lot to think about. 
a lot to reflect on, and I'm sure others that have been listening um, have, have benefited as well. So we will, I'm certain that after this, our paths will cross again in the New York City area, if not somewhere else. Um, but until then, go well, stay well.